0: Welcome back to USHJA On Course. I'm Teresa, and this is episode 11, which is all about amateur riders. As I sat down to chat with Caitlin Creel, who played a big part in this past fall's rule change proposals regarding amateurs. Since this episode is centered around adult amateurs, here are just a few of the various opportunities available to those members. Application deadlines are quickly approaching for a few Markel USHJA Zone Jumper Team Championships and Platinum Jumper Championships. Be sure to see if you've qualified and apply online before your zone championships deadline. Get your thinking helmet on because the USHJA Stable Challenge starts June 15th. Join your barn mates in testing your horsemanship knowledge to win prizes for your trainer. While you're quizzing yourself, take the USHJA Horsemanship Quiz Challenge too. This is the second year of the challenge being open to adults. For the first time, a special division for adults on ponies will be held at this year's Kim K. Smith USHJA Young Hunter Pony Championships at the Virginia Young Horse Festival. This unique division, open to professional or amateur riders, will only be held at this championship and is the exhibitor's choice of 2 foot, 2 3 or 2 6. Finally, the first ever USHJA Hunter Team Challenge kicks off next month in Illinois. A new competition for juniors and adult amateur hunter riders showing under three feet, this challenge allows entrants to ride together as a team. Now for our guest. Caitlin Creel is an amateur jumper rider who used her voice to speak up about the rule change proposal put forward by the USHJA Joint Amateurs Task Force in late 2020. The proposal aimed to clarify the status of social media influencers as professionals and accepting products or services in exchange for promotion is addressed within the amateur rules. Caitlin's petition quickly caught the eye of task force members, fostering a conversation that, along with feedback from the rule change forum held at the 2020 USHGA annual meeting, ultimately helped them vote to withdraw the proposal for reevaluation of the amateur rules as a whole. As a result, USCF announced their newly populated amateur task force earlier this year, including Caitlin and USHGA Joint Amateurs Task Force Vice Chair Penelope Ayers. With the purpose of reviewing the existing rules defining USEF amateur status. The future of the rules regarding amateurs is sure to change, and Caitlin can put her name down as a catalyst for what is to come. Join me as we hear from her about what sparked this passion for amateur representation and how those members are bettering our sport. Hi, how are you?
1: Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Take me through your riding journey this far. Um, so when I was two, I, that was the first time I had really been around horses and I absolutely fell in love with them as most equestrians, uh, I think, can relate to. Uh, but, uh, when I was five, I had the incredible opportunity to be a spectator at the Spruce Meadows Masters event. Uh, and that is really where I completely fell in love with the sport. Uh, specifically, you know, watching judgment and, um, in style at the time with Ian Miller, uh, was, so, so cool, and I still have uh, fun little photos that I took with whatever you know cheesy kids camera I had back in the day. Uh, but it was actually when I was eight uh, that I started riding. So I, I moved quite a bit as a kid. and when I was eight, I lived just outside of Toronto and was able to attend the super, super awesome uh, schooling barn. And I did two years there before moving to Chicago. Um, and in Chicago, I trained with Lynn Jean for seven years. Um, she is so awesome and still to this day, so incredibly supportive of both my life pursuits uh, outside of riding and also my riding pursuits. Um, so I did quite a bit with her throughout the uh, the low junior and medium junior jumpers and equitation divisions. And then when I was a freshman in college at Auburn University, um, I was on the team there And I sort of saw, you know, the next little bit, I knew a transition was coming and, and wanted to focus more so on the jumper world of things. Um, At that point, I'd always been a spectator at Spruce Meadows, but had never had the opportunity to go there and compete. And I decided to move over to uh, Quentin Judge at Double H Farm. And they're fantastic family friends of ours, but also uh, Quentin is just amazing as a trainer as well. And... Knowing that Lynn would have a, a bit of a different schedule, we made that transition and, and she was so supportive of it. And, um, I have now been with Quentin for the past seven years and have uh, accomplished a, quite, quite a bit in the jumper world, so that more than I ever thought possible for me, to be honest. Um, I've jumped some two-star and three-star Grand Prix, but I think my, my highlight was, uh, winning a gold team medal at Young Riders in 2017, um, and now I'm I'm sort of in a transition stage, heading more so towards being a, a proper working amateur. And um, I will cherish all of those memories and, and hope I can come back to that in the future. Um, but uh, I've been very, very blessed and, and privileged to have a, some awesome trainers and some awesome horses along the way that have sort of you know fueled this this equestrian passion and especially just the sport of, of show jumping is unbelievably exciting and an adrenaline rush. And um, it's been a, quite an amazing journey over the past 17 years. I wanted to
0: kind of dive headfirst into some of your activism that you had this past winter surrounding the amateur rule and kind of where it's brought you to, you know, just in the past six months, how how many changes have kind of come about and the future of what that's going to look like. What made you so passionate about the rules for amateurs in the first place?
1: So my um, working area of life is very much focused on uh, social media marketing. Um, Really, I'm I'm trying to evolve into more of the digital marketing space. But um, I had started getting my master's in social media and mobile marketing last fall at Pace University in, in New York City. And based off my my previous experience at my last job, but then also uh, off my education at school, when that rule initially rolled out, I was pretty shocked. Uh, for me, I feel that being a social media influencer has zero relation to your professional ability. And um, I was very concerned for the future of the sport if we are going to you know, look at uh, influencers that way. Because for me, they are such an incredible resource as far as, you know, uh, organic marketing and expanding the reach and um, just a great way to invite you know, new faces and new people into our sport, which is much needed. And uh, a few of my fellow amateur friends also felt the same. And we all started having conversations about it. And Um, you know, relying on my, my school research, I was kind of offering up, you know, a, a real, a real world view as far as, you know, how these companies are utilizing these influencers. Um, which is also a whole other conversation because of the different levels of influencers. Um, it, to me, it was such a broad term to just slap on for a rule. And um, with that, we came up with a proposal together to start a petition. And um, we ended up pushing that petition out. And the goal was just so we ourselves could see like, okay, are we the only ones feeling this way? And if we are, then I guess we're going to swallow that pill. Um, but if not, then we have something to bring to USHJ and sort of say, hey, Let's take a different look at this. Let's let's have a conversation about this rather than pushing this through. Um, And we got quite a a great response. There was a lot of people that were very much in support of it. And uh, Penelope Ayers, who was actually on the amateur task force there at, at USHA, personally reached out to me and said, you know, I'd love to schedule a time for you and I to discuss, you know, your proposal as well with Tracy Weinberg and um, we can kind of, you know, understand our two sides. And that was, I want to say two days after we initially released the petition. And I was so appreciative of that because, um, the thought of having a conversation over it, um, versus, you know, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. You know, it was very much a a two sided thing. And I, this is the first time I've ever done really anything like this at all. Um, and I know from my own experience in life, you know, and with it, just the climate of last year, if that taught us anything at all, it's that conversation matters. And it's about hearing both sides, understanding, you know, how someone got to the end result that they did. And I was super excited to be able to, you know, have a better idea and a better picture as to what went into that process. Because uh, from the outside, you know, we can get all worked up and we can get all excited and say, like, this doesn't serve me uh, very selfishly. But if there's a greater reason to that, then it's totally you know, it's a different story. So I uh, first sat down on my call with Tracy and Penelope about two days after that. We all sort of talked through our, our different views. And, and there definitely were some altering views, but um, it was very... Very positive conversation. You could definitely, uh, for me, as a, a young amateur talking to two experienced and uh, well respected amateurs, um, and just, you know, people and, and the sport. It was such a, a positive experience for me. And I really, really appreciated that they were giving me this much time. Like, I think we ended up spending like an hour and a half on the phone sort of talking through all of our thoughts and ideas and, and at the end of it, um, they had sort of circled back and, and had heard what I had said and said, you know what, maybe there's another way to go about this. Maybe we we don't all as much as I didn't understand, they also said maybe we don't understand, you know, everything that that goes into the definition of a social media influencer and and how that can define somebody's professional status. So um fast forward a couple of days after that, they ended up having their um their you know year end meeting and vote and uh, when sort of those ideas that I had shared with them were brought up the the whole entire task force decided to I believe it was sort of table the rule and and go back and and kind of reevaluate and look at some things um, so that was quite exciting actually to to be a part of that and to you know really be heard and I know that that is yeah that can be something that. Uh, some people don't always feel that they have. So to me, I was like, okay, is this just like, you know, good luck on the first try? Like, this is kind of crazy. Like I have, uh, for all these years that I've, you know, been involved with USAP and USHA, I just really don't know <laughs> if this is normal. But like, this this was awesome. This, it was a super fast, you know, I, timing timing was also a key factor there. But like, it was just overall very fast experience, very positive, like, Immediately wanted to do something to to help you know change something in a way and it it happened it was like okay cool Um, but obviously I knew there was there was some more to go into after that but uh, about I want to say maybe half a week later I got a call from Tom O'Mara and he is somebody that I have a a previous relationship with given that um, I was on the equestrian team at Auburn and, and he was president of the NCEA um during my years there. So he I guess he had heard my name thrown around and um as he was entering his new position at at UCEF, he decided to call me to, you know, hear what was going on and um kinda get my thoughts. And again, super positive experience, you know, a very uh two way conversation. Uh he posed some really good points to me. I was able to, you know, kind of not alter my view. I don't want to say he was trying to change my view at all, but understand, you know, from their perspective. And and we kind of just went back and forth, actually, uh, over a couple of different calls, um, just spitting out ideas and and ways that we could, you know, work through uh, that discussion. Um, and that ultimately led to me uh, getting a spot on the USF Amateur Task Force, um, which is composed of a group of us from all different breeds and disciplines. And it has been, again, another great experience just working with super awesome people and, uh, you know, all sharing our wants and needs and desires, um, you know, speaking for the the mass membership um from our, you know, respected areas, uh, and trying to go about sort of, you know, navigating this new modern era and kind of what the amateur rule looks like today. And, you know, if, if there are, you know, things that we can do, uh, you know, if not, you know, kind of really looking through and um, getting to the, the bones of all of it and, sorting through the best way forward for the future of both the membership and the sport.
0: So in that initial phone call with Penelope, was there a moment that you felt like they finally could kind of see the other side of it?
1: Yes, I and that was when I really and it wasn't wasn't my intention. um, But I pulled on the heartstrings a little bit, uh, because one of my best friends, uh, she is a Phenomenal, phenomenal rider. And she had such an incredible junior career and such an incredible college career. But when it came time to graduate, she evaluated the situation and said, you know, if I go out back into the, you know, the sport and declare myself as a professional, because that is sort of the only way that I can, you know, sustain uh, being in the sport, she's like, I know that it's not really going to be the scenario that I want. And she's like, I would need to, you know, get some more experience, get some more time working for other people. And she's like, you know, I think a better route for me would be to go get a job and have the goal of coming back one day to be an amateur. And sort of sharing that story, you know. For me as somebody who I'm a little bit younger than her, um, so our timelines are a little bit different, but you know, I've I've had the privilege of having my parents support me um, and you know, let me sort of, you know, be be a true amateur. You know, I don't I, I will openly admit that I don't have all of those same, you know, worries of leasing a horse and only being able to show it up to a certain height or, you know, doing Some of the, you know, the things that amateurs have to do in order to make it sustainable. Um, and that is not (laughs) something that is, you know, forever for me, but it was something that my parents were incredibly gracious and offering to me. And for, you know, a bit of time after I graduated to kind of really enjoy the sport at that level. Um, and when I compared that to my friend and her experience, you know, I am somebody that's never going to be professional. I don't have I haven't been been blessed with those skill sets. I think I'm I'm better for the uh <laughs> the business world and I can enjoy it more as a, you know, a passion sport. But my my friend that's a different case. She's an unbelievable rider. Horses love her. She is um so soft in everything that she does, you know, somebody that that really can be a fantastic professional in the sport. But because the amateur rules are the way that they are, it, there was a block for her and she had to make that hard decision. And I think it's now been, you know, three years since she has really sat on a horse and wow, that I, really, I mean, you think about that and you're like, you know, as much as all of us love it so much, I cannot imagine going that amount of time and mm-hmm. the sacrifice that she has made. And, um, I don't think that she, is necessarily you know regretful of that? I think she's incredibly smart to sort of you know see see the different paths, have uh, you know a vision for where she wanted her life to be, and she's now married, and you know that's that's always a factor as well. You know, working another partner into the mix, um, but it really is kind of a sharp contrast of. of and you don't want to say people that deserve it more than others. It's not about that. It's just as far as developing the sport you know how many people do we lose because the sustainability and the accessibility of the sport is really difficult to attain at at a young age you know mm. it's a different story when you have a few years more than a few years of work under your belt and you know one day down the line maybe you even have a little bit more time on your schedule to work riding in or you know uh, to afford to own a horse but the way that the rules currently sit, it it really is a block, and um, for me, that goes hand in hand with social media, because influencers have the ability to uh, utilize their network to create worth for their self brand. Now, that has nothing to do with their ability to uh, ride a horse, in reference to you know our world. Um, most of the time, the influencers that I see are actually the people who, uh, compete locally or just have, you know, a horse at home. They love to ride and they just share their authentic journey with people. And people love that. They love all of that. They love to engage with it. And throughout that process, maybe that person has some recommendations of things that they've tried, uh, product wise, or maybe they just want to share their favorite products with people. Um, and from a marketing standpoint, businesses utilize that incredibly. I mean, that is a huge asset to a business as far as word of mouth marketing goes. Um, I can't speak to the exact statistic right now, but it's, you know, somewhere between, you know, I want to say somewhere over like 70 or 80% where people buy a product based off of what their friends and family tell them versus, you know, what an ad tells them. So. It is such a, a key tool for businesses. And that's another aspect of this situation is that if you block businesses from being able to do that, then we're going to lose business attraction in the sport. Um, but my ultimate, ultimate sort of underlying thing for all of this is that we need to make the sport more accessible. And if someone can do that because they're great at social media and they're great at engaging with a group and they have a strong following and a strong engagement, That they can, you know, then offer a discount code. I mean, we're not talking like, we're not talking about being paid. We're not talking about, uh, you know, really, really influencing people as far as it comes to like, this is my professional opinion. Like that's not how it's going. It's very much, you're a part of my journey. This is what I'm doing. And uh, companies utilize that. I know that there there will be some altering views to that, but I see there being no harm, no harm or foul. Every single person in this sport has a different journey. Every single person in the sport has a different level of ability to contribute to their own journey. And I believe it's unfair to block people out just because, you know, maybe they can't afford it in the same way. Or just because They may be getting a discount on something. If you're an amateur, you're an amateur. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you're not trying to steal anybody's training positions. You're not trying to, you know, get in the middle of business, you know, as far as how um, working farms run, like you're just enjoying your journey. You're enjoying your horses. And if there's a way to make that easier and to create uh, an easier barrier of entry, for a lot of new people, whether it be, you know, new faces to the sport that get exposed to it because of these influencers, or if it's just retaining the members through after their junior years, that's going to be huge for us. As we all look forward to the future of our sport, we have to evolve. It's not an if. It's not a win. It's, it's really a now, especially I think COVID really that whole time last year. For my outside view has really sped up that this whole process because everyone, the only way they can communicate is via, you know, social media, through your phone, through your computer. So uh, although I, I don't think actually usage went up a crazy amount, um, it's still just going to be more integrated into everybody's life, no matter what, as we move forward. And if there's a way to utilize that in both benefiting the members and benefiting, you know, the entire organization as a whole. um, Why not take advantage of that? Why not? And like, there still has to be guidelines. There still has to be regulations around it. 100%. It's not a free for all. But there is room for, you know, conversation and there is room for flexibility. And if we don't, I really fear for the future of our sport.
0: We definitely want to be growing the sport, not excluding people, whether it's new people coming in, or like you said, your friend, you know, who, who had, it's kind of fizzled out because of that. So uh, it's definitely an important discussion to be having. Markel is proud to support the USHJA and be the title sponsor of the Markel Insurance USHJA Zone Jumper Team and Platinum Jumper Championships. Markel has over 50 years of expertise in insuring horses and horse-related businesses. Firmly committed to the horse industry, many of their employees were horse owners long before they became involved in the insurance industry. They know firsthand the passion shared by horse owners and represent the commitment that makes Markel different. Markel is excited to offer a new affordable coverage for horse owners to add to their horse mortality insurance policy. Their Equine Essentials Enhancement is designed to assist with the extra expenses that may occur when owning a horse. When added to your policy, coverage may be provided for horse equipment, emergency evacuation, and necropsy and burial expenses. If you need insurance for your horse or horse related business, visit Markel's website at markelhorseandfarm.com where you can get a quote and purchase mortality and equine liability insurance coverage online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also contact a Markel agent directly at 1-800-446-7925. And don't forget to like Markel Horse on Facebook for news, event attendance, and fun facts about equine insurance. You touched on it a little bit. What are some struggles you think amateur riders face compared to professionals and juniors that are in the sport?
1: Well, outright, <laughs> as amateurs, um, we are the only ones that have to pay top dollar to compete. Professionals have the ability to have an owner involved. They have the ability to be sponsored uh, you know, from actual companies. And, and with that comes... Payment too, you know, it's not just product sponsorship. It's you know real payment as far as uh, you know being a face for the brand. Uh, and then juniors also get to you know lease a horse and ride it at whatever level that they want. Um, as far I know, there are some age restrictions <laughs> for certain things, but you know yep. that's a that's a different thing. You know, it's not a matter of do I have to own this horse or not, um, and. I think that's I mean that not think I know that's incredibly hard for people. I've been super excited by some of the the rule changes in, throughout the jumper world as far as, you know, opening up the amateur divisions to be like just amateur or amateur owner. Uh where I have seen that failing though is that not every single horse show offers that and that gets both confusing and uh disappointing for the people that are, you know, Excited for that opportunity to be able to lease a horse for a year or for kids that are in college, you know, lease a horse for the summer and get to compete while they have a break. Um, you know, I it's it's almost there, but it's not where it needs to be. But everywhere else, I think it would be fantastic to follow suit. You know, at, to me, the conversation is more so it needs to be focused on what makes a professional a professional. And I think if we start there, it's going to organically and naturally help us define the rest of the equation. Because right now, there is such a focus on as an amateur, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, okay. But as a professional, like what really defines you? Other than the fact that you check a box and say, I want to be professional now. I know this, this is, you know, a very, very, you know, forward conversation as far as, as that goes. But, um, I personally believe that it should be based off of, you know, skill and experience. And that experience doesn't mean, you know, in order to train people of a certain level, you have to have, you know, done it yourself, you know, X amount of levels ahead. Uh, I think there are some amazing trainers who either, you know, haven't competed themselves in years or, you know, are just students of the sport and they've learned and they've worked around people and they understand uh, and they know how to teach somebody how to do it. So there needs to be further discussion as far as what that really looks like. Um, but I think if we do that and we put more of a focus on sort of the, This skill set. And that is actually, that's something that I I pulled when I was originally doing a bunch of research in the fall. um, Something that uh, golf does, because golf is kind of one of the only other sports that really allows for amateur and professionals competing against each other. And there are a few other, you know, things that go into the golf world. But the one thing that they have is, you know, as a professional, you have a level of skill and ability that's assessed. And you actually you have to like go through you know different not golf rounds because <laughs> that's literally what it is but it's like <laughs> basically i think it's it's different trials in order to earn that status as a professional um and then once you're there it, it's i think it's for my understanding it's it's pretty consistently evaluated uh and if you want to be an amateur um, there are some limits as far as your skills go you know once you reach a certain point um, you're beyond amateur skill level and mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. And I feel like if that was looked at the same in our sport, you know, within the correct definition of, of what everyone sees best fit there, um, you're going to have a lot of people happier. Cause I know, at least for me, in the, especially in the jumper world, doing the high amateurs and, and those classes, you know, you see people pop down that the week before they were doing the five-star Grand Prix and you're like, okay, come on. Like mm-hmm. really? Is that <laughs> fair? Is that not fair? You know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a gut punch when you're walking up to your class and you look at your start list and you're like, all right, so this is my competition today. Um, and I am all for competition. I don't think that there needs to be lack of competition, but as far as like the real Gaps of skill and ability that sometimes, you know, filter in and out of the amateur divisions. I think that would help that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it just helps everyone else better define the rest of our roles. You know, there are so many different buckets of professional, uh, and you can be a professional groom, you can be a professional barn manager, you can be a professional Horse salesman. You can be a professional trainer of horses, or you can be a professional trainer of like horse and rider. Like there are so many different aspects of being a professional, and that's not really looked at. It's kind of everyone is just like, if you get paid, you're a professional. Well, no, because we all know that that professional groom, although they may can help and flat a horse and do whatever they may also have never jumped in their life. Mm-hmm. So you're going to tell them that they can't go and compete in like the low adult jumpers because they're quote unquote, a professional like, no, they don't have the skill that matches that that doesn't add up. And I'm not talking about, you know, professional grooms that have like, have come over from the dressage world and have all of this, you know, they were professional dressage rider, the flat work, whatever. That's a different conversation. I'm talking about the people that just know how to flat a horse can ride around, and just because that that is a part of their job description, they have to be considered a professional. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite make sense to me. So I that's all you know very future conversation and and um, I would be so intrigued to learn sort of you know what the rest of the membership is thinking on on that fact. You know, if we focus on the professional, how do we define that? How, what would everyone be comfortable with? Because I know it, change is change. It's going to be uncomfortable, but how do we sort of set that up the best way for, you know, current professionals and future professionals? And, uh, you know, how does that help benefit and grow the rest of the sport? What does that really look like? Like, can we, I'm, I'm a huge data person. Like, can we pull data? Can we pull stats? Can we do something that can really help us, you know, predict growth or predict lack of growth? Um, Make, making a really, uh, educated and informed decision on those things, I think will be vital. And that would only be possible if we had, you know, great contribution from the incredible professionals that we have in the sport, both, you know, experienced and wise and new and innovative. And I also think that'll just create a little bit more of connection within our membership. Um, there's a, a little bit of, you know, professionals, professional, amateurs, an amateur, juniors, a junior, and like, yes, by definition, 100. percent But we all work together, and everybody's goal at the end of the day is to keep doing this and to keep loving it. And uh, everybody wants each other to succeed. You know, it's not about holding one group down over another. It's how do we best utilize and integrate all of our roles within the sport in order to help the sport grow and be more accessible across the board.
0: And so, in your opinion, in in the ideal world in the future, what do you really hope the amateur rule, you know, as everyone calls it, becomes?
1: I don't want to key into anything that we may be working on, you know. Okay. Um, I, there, I have to respect our our level of confidentiality there. But I do hope that the the rule becomes more accurate. For what's happening in the world today, to be honest, that probably isn't going to look exactly how I think it should look. Right, but what I try to keep reminding myself of is that number one, I've been an amateur now for what, like six years, and I don't know everything. I've been doing this forever. (laughs) The best thing that I can do is is to lean on those who have been doing it, who have the experience, who have. Learned, um, you know, from the changes of the sport over all the years. And, uh, I know that there's a lot of things that I'm probably blind to that I think, oh, this is simple and it's not, it's not that simple. So, um, I don't even think it's going to look exactly how I think it should. Um, but it shouldn't because I'm one person, a part of, of a greater audience. Uh, so I just, I really hope that. We can all have further conversation. We can all see each other's point of view. Um, I hope that, you know, some of the more traditional mindsets can be open to, you know, potential change that could come throughout the years, the future of the sport. You know, it's it, even what we think is going to be good now is not going to be good in five years. You know, there's going to be constant changes that need to be updated in order to keep up with the. The environment of the rest of the world. Um, but the one thing that I actually really want to emphasize is the conversation aspect. Um, now, I am probably the youngest person in the uh, amateur task force by, you know, 15 to 20 years. And maybe I could be less than that. I don't know exactly everybody's age, so I don't want to make everybody <laughs> feel old. However, I'm definitely the, the youngest person that, you know, just out of college, just, you know, sort of, you know, new, new into the adult world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my biggest hope of what I'm doing now is that I can sort of share my experience and really encourage other people my age and younger to start participating um, at this level because that is where real change happens. You know, I don't need to call it any names or point any fingers, but I think I can speak pretty bluntly and people will understand there are certain people in our space who love to, you know, highlight negative things. They love to stir the pot. They love to get the membership going against USF and USHJA. And Although I can understand some of the points and even agree with some of the points that are made, I just really feel that's not a productive place to be. If you are outside just screaming at the inside, but not willing to have a conversation and not willing to actually participate in the process in which it takes to actually make change, you're never going to be heard. All you're doing is creating this aggression a of, of crowd of aggression. Uh, and you're also just sort of becoming a real breaking point between people. I mean, you're you're creating two separate groups that are against each other, which is not the point of an organization. I mean, we all want the same thing. We want to uh, better the sport across the board. There is nobody that's going to sit there and say like, no, I don't want the sports to be better. Sport doesn't need to change. Everybody has something they think should change. Everyone has something that they think can be approved upon. And I just want to encourage people to really get involved with that. You know, whether it's through feedback on the websites, there are now very clear pathways in order to send in your feedback to be heard. Um, I think we all at some point in time have met somebody who maybe is involved in some way. Uh, they can help get you started on on how to get involved, and I'll even offer myself up to people. You know, I'm I love meeting new people. I love to uh, you know engage, especially in conversations about the sport. And um, if anybody wants to find me on you know social media, it's just my name, and you can reach out. and I love to engage and, and help connect you with the right people. I just think that. It is so, so important for the younger generation to start getting involved here. And it's not as easy as you think it may be. And it's not as quick as you think it may be, which I believe is what most people have an issue with. Um, when you want change, especially now, we're all used to having things given to us instantly. And that's just not possible when it comes to a situation like this. There has to be patience. There has to be understanding. And at the end of the day, you could get to what you want to get to, but there also is probably going to be some level of, you know, finding a middle ground. You have to be able to be flexible in your views and your opinions and, and understand all aspects of the situation in order to really come to the educated and informed decision that is best for everybody. Um, even if you, I mean, last year, last fall, when I first started all of that, this is crazy. This is 100% negative for everybody. This is not good. And I kind of would have been under the camp to say like, open it all up. It's free for all. Don't hold no guidelines. Don't hold anything back. This is just has nothing to do with professional status. Um, But that's changed now. Like now that I've talked to people and, and understood all the different aspects that go into that, there is definitely a conversation to be had there for there being regulations and guidelines over something like that. Like you you cannot make it just a free for all. Otherwise, you know, people take advantage of that. It's the the unfortunate human nature of things sometimes. Um, So that is really what I would love to see happen for amateurs is just get involved. And don't be afraid to get involved. Don't be afraid to share your opinions, understand that they may not be a uh, 100% agreed upon by the other party, but be okay with that. At the end of the day, feedback and I don't want to say even rejection because I don't even think that is what would happen. But like that's what helps us all grow. And that's what helps us all have uh, conversations to move us forward. And even if whoever you talk to comes back and says like, hey, that really is impossible. You just planted a seed in their head. And they're going to think about it. They're going to stew over it. And maybe there's an opportunity for something to happen there in the future. Just because it can't happen right now doesn't mean it can't happen ever. And the more that we all get involved at the base level of really being a part of creating these rules and being a part of the change and a part of that conversation, we're all going to be so much happier. It's hopeless just waiting on the outside. You know, sharing stories, sharing opinions, sharing whatever. If those opinions and thoughts and ideas never actually make it to the inside, and there's just too much going on for you to expect that somebody on the inside is sitting there and waiting to see whatever Facebook post goes up or whatever Instagram story goes up. Like, yes, they do have people that keep track of that, but that process too it takes a long time for them to finally get back to something like that. So, be direct, get involved, share your ideas, share your opinions, and be a part of the change from the inside out. And you're going to start to, I think, see a world in, um, in which all of us can thrive and, and really help grow the sport and create this whole new level of accessibility for our sport that really can be so unattainable. And uh, to me, that excites me because I know how many... I'm a part of them. How many horse girls are out there that we started out as little pony girls? You know, the, the thought of creating an avenue in which more people can be involved and, and can get to love the sport the way that I do. It just makes my heart so, so happy. And I think that, you know, that's only going to benefit everybody. That's not, <laughs> it's not going to hurt anybody. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's really where I'd love to see kind of all of this go. Well, I
0: know that I can speak for the whole of USHJ in saying that we want feedback from our members. We want to hear from them, phone calls, emails, anything. We're really here to cater to our members and to do everything we can to make the sport better. So we always wrap up our podcast episodes with what we call the Victory Gallop. What is your most used emoji?
1: Definitely the crying, laughing emoji. What is your favorite song at the moment? Oh, goodness. I haven't uh, listened to a lot of music as of late. There is one song that is so happy. It is called a by Ty Verdi, I believe. What are two things you can't get through a day at the barn without? Snuggling with my horses and going and seeing specifically my uh, retired horse, Liberty, son. He is the light of my life. And I would feel like I I really let him down if I don't go and spend time with him every day. (laughs) (laughs)
0: What is your favorite horse show?
1: Spruce Meadows.
0: What is something or someone that always makes you smile? I guess I can say my boyfriend. He's really awesome. Do you have any riding
1: superstitions or good luck charms? You know what? I don't. And there was a moment in time in my life where I started to, to create those superstitions, um, but I realized that that wasn't really helping me. So <laughs> I tried to just stay, you know, in the moment and uh, enjoy it and, and not get too caught up in, in the things that I can't control.
0: Okay. That's a good view on it, though. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? French fries good answer. If you were an animal, what would you be?
1: I think a horse. Honestly, I think they're awesome. It'd be (laughs) so fun to just like run around and be sassy and and get fed treats. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a hidden talent? All right. This isn't really a talent. Um, It's more of just uh, something I very much enjoy. I really love karaoke. Um, well, that's a talent. <laughs> no, but the talent, it really is not there as far as singing. Um, I like to perform. I can do that. Uh, try to get the crowd going. But, um, as far as my actual talented ability to sing it does not exist. Uh, but my favorite song is for Galicious. Oh, that's a uh, good go-to. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's especially the, the rapping part, you know, it took about a decade to learn. Um, but now that I have that down, it's, uh, that's what I, will pull out that as a fun party trick sometimes, but, um, that's kind of the only hidden thing that I think people wouldn't immediately know about me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and finally, what is the last TV show or movie that you
1: watched? Oh, I just watched without remorse. It's an Amazon prime movie. Michael B. Jordan, who is fantastic.
0: Well, that is all I have for you. Thank you so much for coming on, having a progressive conversation. And um, I really can't wait to see where that amateur rule comes out in the end of
1: it all. Thank you so much for having me. And and I'm excited too. I hope the future of the sport can be ever evolving and, and continuously progressing forward.
0: USHJA always wants to hear from you so we can continue to improve our sport together. Share your thoughts and concerns with us by emailing feedback at ushja.org. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of USHJA On Course. As always, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode, leave a review, and follow USHJA on social media for our latest news.